Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And before I come and bring the word of God, let us just pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your message, and we thank you for all that we have to learn in this letter of 1 Corinthians. And I pray now as we study your word, would we learn more of who you are? Would my words be your words, Lord? And would you take us deeper with you, Lord? Amen. So as I said, today we're continuing um, the series on 1 Corinthians and looking at the letter of 1 Corinthians. And in today we're looking particularly at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. And the letter of 1 Corinthians was written by Paul to the Corinthian church. And it was a letter written to a particular people at a particular time, addressing particular issues that had, been, had arisen in the church um, due to the attitudes and beliefs of the uh, culture around them in the city of Corinth, uh, in, of Corinth um, coming into the church and governing the way they were behaving and their attitude and what they were thinking. And we see in the book of 1 Corinthians, um, from 1 Corinthians 1, starting at verse 18, through to uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16, Paul in particular is challenging their understanding of wisdom. What is wisdom? What does it mean to be wise? And he's contrasting the wisdom of the world with the wisdom of God. And when I was preparing for this sermon and reading through the passage, I was really challenged. And I was really challenged by how often my life can be dictated, not by the love and grace of God, which I would like to think, but actually by my pride, by my sense of how often I like to think I'm right. I like to prove my point because I think what I believe is the right way to believe. If I'm having a disagreement with someone, I may hear their point of view, but I like to think that my point of view is the right one. I often catch myself thinking, oh, life would just be so much easier if everyone agreed with me. After all, I am right, or more accurately, I like to think I'm right. And as much as I might hate to admit it, a lot of my thoughts and my actions are driven by my belief and that I know best, by my human pride. And Paul, in previous verses, he's been challenging this very attitude of individuals wanting to live life how they wish to, believe what they want to believe, wanting their opinions to be heard so they construct this eloquent speech to try and convince people to come around to their way of thinking, that their opinion, their view is right. 
And some were going as far as trying to establish salvation, their salvation, not based on the saving work of Jesus that we see on the cross, but actually by their own intellect and understanding. So here in these verses, Paul is showing that actually that's impossible because all wisdom is found in Jesus. We are saved through him alone. And the world's wisdom and what it thinks is wise pales into insignificance when compared to God's, which stands in complete contrast to it. In these verses, we see how God's way is so very different to the world's way. Something which those who'd be influenced by the Corinthian um, culture around them, in which status and power was everything. Being known, being listened to, being considered wise, that's what mattered in the culture around them. And actually, we see here in these verses, um, starting at verse 26, that actually... By God's standards, he used what by human standards wasn't viewed wise, not influential, not very noble. He chose people that by the Corinthian standards were nobodies, to be somebodies in him. He chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things to shame the strong, the lowly things, the despised things in the world's eyes, to nullify the things that are. In God's kingdom, it's in complete contrast to what the world says is important and what matters. And Corinth wasn't um, unusual. Christianity spread most rapidly among the lower classes in the Mediterranean society. And this was partly why it was so offensive. Because people watched on as the people in their eyes who were the riffraff, the nobodies, those who were seen as the scum of the earth. God chose them. And God made them part of his royal priesthood. And in Luke 4, verse 18, Jesus proclaims this himself. He says, he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. This is the way of God. This is his wisdom the power of the gospel. It is worked out in the lives of those who the world sees as the least and the last. But God sees as his sons and daughters, his heirs. The pride of humanity is punctured by the wise love of God. A love which sees all as equal, not governed by worldly standards, by by his grace. And the world's belief that those who matter to God are the wise, the well-bred, the articulate, the gifted, the wealthy, the wielders of power and influence. This is overthrown by God. Because this belief, it was dominant within the Corinthian church, and it is so today. But this is a dangerous belief because such beliefs stifle the glory of God. These verses offer to us a warning Because we need to be aware of how our thinking can be influenced by the world around us and not by Jesus. In his commentary on 1 Corinthians, David Pryor wrote this. He said, It's not the world's false boasting in its wisdom and ability that caused Paul to write 1 Corinthians, but the same false boasting in the church, where Christians were glorying men and wrongly evaluating their gifts. 
They can only do this because they have forgotten their Christian existence depends not on their merit, but on God's call and the fact that the gospel is the message of the cross. It's one of us being saved by the gracious and merciful act of Jesus on the cross. That he took on our sin and our wrongdoing. He took on us our punishment and paid the price so that we could come into a full and loving relationship with God. That we could be free. And I find that it can be very easy for me in my day to day to forget this. To forget who I am, where I am. That all that I have is because of the grace of God. And I'm training at a theological college. I'm training to be a vicar. Where every day we start the day with a morning prayer service like this. And yet all too easily I can go off about my day. I'm writing my essays. I'm trying to prepare a sermon. I'm trying to learn what it means to be a vicar. And I, I'm trying to do it all in my strength. Thinking that I can learn it all in here or in all the books. And actually forgetting that it's all in God's strength that I do it. That it's by his grace I am where I am, doing what he's called me to do. I evaluate myself and others by what the world says is right and important. Instead of daily my eyes being fixed on God, I'm focused instead on my little world, which I think is important, where I need to be queen of my life in control doing everything in my own strength, taking my gaze away from God, who is the source of all life and strength. And I don't know whether that rings true for you. Again, Pryor wrote this in his commentary. The complete and eternal acceptance of the repentant sinner who calls on God to be saved is completely alien to worldly wisdom and to the ways and thoughts of human beings. The ways of men call for human effort, good deeds, wise words, and the path of salvation are the path of salvation. The ways of God spell out the message. Seek the Lord, call upon the Lord, return to the Lord, to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This is the gospel of salvation. It's all through the power of God. Coming to him humbly, that we are saved. And the Corinthian Christians themselves, they were living proof that salvation does not depend on anything in themselves, on anything in us. So that actually those that are saved, we can only boast in the Lord because their salvation, our salvation, did not come from human intellect or power, but from the free and loving grace of God. Romans 5 verse 19 says, For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. For Paul, any attempt to establish salvation except on the foundations of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross is complete foolishness. In God calling those who were weak, and insignificant in the world's eyes, meant that boasting in secular status in the things of the world is impossible. We see that in verses 29 and 30. Because it's all a matter of divine favour, for all that is needed is to be found in Jesus. 
In verse 31, Paul cites Jeremiah 9:24, and it says, "But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on earth, that in these I delight, declares the Lord. The wise, the powerful, the well-born. None of them can boast in anything except the Lord. He alone is the only one we can boast in. And God is so intent upon breaking down all human pride that he deliberately acts in such a way as to reveal his emptiness. He gives special position and honor only to Jesus, who is everything to us. He's our wisdom, our righteousness, sanctification and redemption. In him we find life and truth and are justified. Only in him do we find depth, status, purity, freedom. These are all in him alone, through his death on the cross. And when our human pride can dictate what we do, when we're governed by our human and worldly wisdom, and our thought processes and behavior are dictated by this, it means we're living away from this truth, the truth of the cross, the truth of the gospel. God's way is to exalt and glorify Jesus, and therefore, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we're called to humble ourselves before our Savior, turning away from the reliance on ourselves and worldly things, stepping down off the thrones we can easily put ourselves on, And boasting in the Lord alone. That is true wisdom. That's what Paul is saying to us here. Living a life in full faith and trust in God. Humbling ourselves to follow him. That's wisdom. And God wants everyone to come to him. God wants everyone to be in relationship with him. And yes, in these verses, we see that he says, only those who are humble enough to turn to Jesus. But he is constantly and deliberately bringing the proud people to their knees. That they too can enter his presence in repentance and faith. Entering into a new life far greater than anything this world could offer. And he too wants us to come daily before him in repentance and laying everything down before him. It is all too easy to rely on our own strength. I do it all the time. I always catch myself doing it. Doing things in our own power, praising ourselves when things go well. Pushing on in our own strength when things are hard. But this belief is a lie, because our hope and our confidence is in God. We would be nothing apart from him. He's our strength for today and our hope for tomorrow. In him all things are possible and he is the only one worth boasting in. He saved us from the sin and hopelessness of this world so we can have a new eternal life and hope with him. And as it says in Isaiah 55 verses 8 to 9, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
we're called as Christians to live in an attitude of humility before God. Accepting that he has all that we need, that his ways are far greater and better than our ways. Coming to him each day with all that we have going on in our lives, the joys and the struggles, giving it all over to him, releasing our control. This is living in the truth of the cross. And I believe it leads to a life where instead of worrying about whether we're right or not, whether things are how we would like them to be, whether that person really took on board what I was saying or listened to my opinion. Instead, we are living in humility to God, trusting that he holds everything, is in complete control, and will work everything out in our lives far greater than we ever could. Because he's a good and loving father who loves us as his children. And the things of this world pale into insignificance when we look to Jesus and his saving act of love and grace on the cross. And as I draw to a close, I was reminded um, of the words from the hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And it says this, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace.